0: We remain standing for the reading of the Gospel, John's Gospel, the sixth chapter, a divided reading, beginning with verse 35 and then picking up at 41 to 51. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Those who hunger come to the... Sorry. I am the bread of life. Those who come to me shall not hunger, and those who believe in me shall never thirst. The Jews, the religious leadership, then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise that one up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except those, that one who is from God. That one has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, those who believe have eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that we may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which comes which come down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Be Please be seated. If you've been here the last few Sundays, the last two especially, you've heard about the bread of life. Lauren has given us two wonderful sermons on that subject. And here's the phrase bread of life again in this text. I tried to think of some nice joke to kind of, you know, say I was going to sandwich my way in here, but I figured that'd be such a groaner that it wouldn't be worth it. And you have validated my concern. slightly different tack. I knew her years ago. She moved to a small town in Missouri, two small preschool girls and her husband. They arrived late, and so they just slept on the floor of the house they would move into. The next day, unloading the truck, he dropped dead of a heart attack. And suddenly she found herself with two preschool girls in a town where she knew no one and no income. She would say, I discovered that when I cried, that if I ate, I didn't cry. And so she ate. She raised her children, created work for herself, but she ate. Trying to fill that awful, awful emptiness that comes with terrible grief. Trying to fill that place that never felt like she was enough to do this alone. To raise those girls. Always eating. Until her blood pressure was sky high and eventually would lose sight in one eye because of it. Until she destroyed her own heart with it. I have no right to judge her, none at all, nor does anyone else. I know that I am a hungry human being. I'm hungry for belonging, for meaning, for hope, for understanding, for forgiveness and justice. I know, I'm an old white guy. I can't claim any kind of lingering injustice in my life, but I've seen a lot of injustice, and I long to see justice. Hungry for someone to see me, my hopes, my dreams, my disappointments. Someone to listen to me, my struggles, my strengths. Someone to know my grief and feed my soul. And I don't think I'm alone. I was reading this week an article about a study about millennials. Social researchers said that they concluded that there's a sense of belonging that has dropped by 50% among millennials. And they attributed to our addiction to our digital devices where we're always looking here instead of looking here. not enough human connection. And I think about the passages in life from, from school to work to partnerships in life to, to families to aging to retiring to disease and dying and hovering all, over, all of those are these questions about who am I now? If I'm no longer the high school whiz kid, who am I? And if my children are gone, who am I? They don't need me anymore. What does it mean to arrive at work or to be successful? Who am I? And if work is finished, do I matter to anybody? Where's my meaning? What gets me up in the morning? We're hungry to know if we matter at all. I read this week of an experiment conducted about how people feel about immigrants. They had two groups. This group was simply asked how they felt about immigrants. And overall, they were generally positive and welcoming. This group was told that by a certain year, white people in the United States would no longer be the majority. And this group showed a great deal of prejudice and anxiety, and fear, and racism. The fear of losing their social position, the fear of losing our place in the economic line, fear takes over, racism gets embraced, and that empty place inside of us gets filled with hatred. And just like my friend who ate and ate and ate, it was destructive. And all of us know it's destructive to fill ourselves with hate. And then Jesus comes along and says, I am the bread of life. Here in John's gospel, you, you find people running around kind of everywhere this seashore, that seashore, showing up to be fed in the wilderness, all 5,000. And then they come back to be fed again. No big surprise there. You feed me, I will return. They're clearly hungry people, but it becomes that teaching moment where he talks about being the bread of life. And here, to religious leaders who are also hungry, he talks about the bread of life. They contain their hungers in a religious system that gives them status and power and control, but not compassion. And like my friend, they fill up with that which does not satisfy they have this snarky reaction to Jesus. I am the Bread of life that came down from heaven. No, you're not. You're Jesus. You're the little boy who grew up in the carpenter shop right over there. We saw you in the sawdust when you were just a baby. You were a pain in our rear ends most of the time. Seeing, but not grasping the significance of what they saw. Janet Hunt is a Lutheran minister. She served a congregation in Wisconsin. At the time when that Sikh temple was attacked, five young people were murdered, and the gunman turned the gun on himself. It's hard to remember that because there have been so many. A member of that congregation was the director of emergency services at the community hospital. Her name was Cindy And she, along with her team, worked through the day and through the night into the wee hours of the morning, getting people patched up and sent home, getting people prepped for surgery. And in the wee hours of the morning, all that remained was preparing the bodies of those who had died. With families waiting, she felt like it would be traumatic, it's already traumatic, but it would be even worse if she saw how bloodied they were. And so she began to clean them up herself, not wanting her team to suffer the trauma. And room by room, person by person, she cleaned those bodies. And then she went to one more room, the room of the gunman, the one who killed the men who turned the gun on himself and cleaned his wounds as well. And what she said about that was that it was just stunning to her how when she cleaned him up, he so much looked like the boy next door. Unthinkable that one could do something so violent, so vicious. And here they don't think about viciousness from Jesus, but they don't think he could do anything sacred. He's just the boy next door. And musing about that, Janet Hunt wrote these words. Maybe I need to begin to take a second look at the boy, the girl next door. Maybe I need to begin to see all those I encounter in my office at worship, at coffee hour, in the grocery line, at the high school football game, on the bike path, in the car next to mine at the stoplight. Maybe I need to see all those I encounter as those who hold all the potential in the world. To see them, not with a heart made dull by indifference or quickened by fear, but with a heart full of wonder and curiosity and hope. To see us all as bearing the very face of Jesus. For in fact, we do. What keeps us from seeing each other? Fear? Fatigue? Preoccupation with ourselves and our own agendas? What keeps us from allowing others to see us? And to this world... To us, Jesus offers the bread of his own life, and they reject it. The offer is made, I am giving you my flesh, and we don't talk like that. That sounds like cannibals are in the wings. I don't want somebody gnawing on my arm during the sermon or really any other time but it means this taking in the body of Jesus is accepting the whole person taking in the teachings taking in the revelation that comes to us from God because we see what God looks like in Jesus and i think it leads us to three things that are found in this text and one is that God will teach you God will teach me i think God teaches us what matters I think God teaches us and calls us to forgiveness. I think God teaches us about love and how that works its way out in how we live. I think it addresses what sometimes is, I think, a false dichotomy. One astute observer of our congregation, observed to me once that he thinks we have folks here who are really into social justice issues And then the other side are people who are just into the spiritual issues. But here, they are two sides of the same coin. Here they feed off each other and nurture each other. There's the feeding of the hungry people, the 5,000, physically. And here is the feeding of the spiritual side. They go together. Years ago, I was the interim pastor at South Jefferson Baptist Church. It's way out Dixie Highway, and once you get out there, you go further, and you'll find the South Jefferson Baptist Church on the other side of the railroad tracks. When I was there last, they were in trouble with MSD, the Metropolitan Sewer District, because they were constantly putting grease down the drain in the kitchen and clogging up the sewer lines. Why do you do that? Well, we have an antiquated kitchen, and we need to figure out a better way to get rid of the grease. Well, how much grease do you produce? Well, you don't understand. The children in our area are hungry. The teenagers in our area are hungry. Everything we do, every time we have an event, we feed them first. If I had told them they were doing a social justice ministry, they would have been appalled. <laughs> but they were. And it started in this love of children. And they were doing both, not either or both. And the second thing that tells is that you will be satisfied with meaning, with a reason to get up in the morning, with motivation for the things we're called on to do, satisfied with relationships that are deep and lasting, satisfied with belonging. And the third thing he says is that there's life after death, a promise of fulfillment of this great adventure of eternal life, It addresses our great fear about this anxiety of annihilation. I have to confess that when I became a minister, nobody asked me if I believed in heaven. It's always assumed that if you're a minister that you believe that. And so I have. And then when I became one who worked with the dying... I began to believe it much more passionately, not because I had to, but because I was experiencing it in the lives of those who were in fact stepping over into that time, that realm. And the best I can say is is my strong, strong conviction that just after the last closing of our eyes, there's more, so much more. Two weeks ago, Time Magazine did an article about new leaders in the South, and they, they did portraits of them, word portraits, and one of them is Stacey Abrams. She's running for governor in Georgia, African-American woman. And in the interview, she told of her father, who worked in a shipyard in southern Mississippi, a college-educated African-American but who could not get a job in the area for which he was qualified because he was African-American in southern Mississippi. They didn't have a whole lot, one old car. Often coming home from the night shift, he would simply hitchhike home in the dark. And one night he didn't get home, not when he should have been. So they jumped in the car and went looking for him, and they found him half frozen by the side of the road and learned that he had given his own coat away to a homeless man. And they said to him, You're a poor man. Why would you do something like that? And he said, because I knew you'd come for me. This radical, sacrificial generosity of giving to another in need is born of that knowledge that someone would come for him. Here, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. It's going to lead to eternal life. And we are freed to work toward justice, to feed the hungry, to care for the lonely, to reach out and embrace all. Because there's one, there's one who is love, who's coming for us. Amen.